It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends from tabletop game design. The fun forever ends at the end of the episode. That's when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, August August twenty fourth, and you're listening to episode four hundred and thirty. I'm your host, Jason. And I'm once again, for the first time in a long time, joined by someone who is an amazing person, a father of five, a game designer of 12 or more published games. I don't know. I'm making numbers up here. Voted for nine years in a row, the most ruggedly handsome designer by building the game. Uh, And also none of those things even matter because he because what he did that really matters is he won the first inaugural edition of the Iron Design Challenge. Ben Ooh. Pinchback. Yeah, buddy. Hey, Ben, what's yeah, up? Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, I still have that trophy prominently displayed in my house. Do you really? It's one of my most prized possessions. That makes sense. Probably displayed in my furnace room on a shelf, but I mean, it's got a place <laughs> of honor in there. When I go in to put like more salt in the water softener, it makes me happy every time I see it that there. That makes you know, sense, yeah. But seriously, that was a big point of pride for me. That that was a huge, a huge win, and uh, the legacy lives on. And yeah. I just want to say thanks for inviting me on. I know um, without a shadow of a doubt, you did not invite the worst half of my design team. I did not. Your arch nemesis. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> that means a lot to me. Yes. No, I uh, we haven't talked in forever. And uh, I was like, I should have been on the show. I was going to say your email to me said, just so long as you don't bring Matt, yes, you can be on yes. my show. <laughs> That's kind of standard order though, right? You know? Yeah, it is. Every once in a while, I like to have Matt on. Um, That's not true. Every once in a while, I have Matt on. Um, (laughs) I wouldn't say that I like it, but he's he's here. But it's been a long time, actually. Yeah, man, it's been a weird year. I know, right? It's like I was. My kids were asking who was on the show tonight because they, you know, they know I generally have a different person now every time, and it's like, oh, um, one of my friends, his name is Mr. Ben, and they're like, you know, like uh, I said, but I haven't talked to him in probably six or more months, and they're like. Why? And I said, well, because normally I would have seen him two to three times already this year, but I haven't because everything's been canceled. I know. It's like, hey, all the fun for this year is canceled, but uh, (laughs) you get to work and um, also try to teach all the kids at home. So good luck, 2020. Right? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) It's been wild. Like I said, you you have more than me. So yeah, we've been all right. We've been all right. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we we are in a in a very blessed and privileged position. I can't complain about anything. I mean, I do sometimes, frequently, but I can't, right? Because things we're we're in a we're in a very good spot, you know, and um and we're making the best of it. Uh, but it's uh it's you know there are good days and bad days, right? Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's kind of like a Groundhog Day thing, you know, where right. like, <laughs> every day feels the same and you're trying to find like reasons why one week is exciting or like, what do I have this week right. to look forward to besides the same day, seven days in a row? Yes, exactly. And um, the thing I'm looking forward to most, I've mentioned this on the show, was school starting soon and uh, the kids are going to be at home, but we're going to have a like a tutor with them. Uh, but we uh, we're building an office so that I can actually have a space to work. And uh, right now, as we speak, my amazing wife is painting said office, um, so the uh, guy can keep doing the work tomorrow. So I'm I'm very 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 thankful for that. <laughs> right on. Yeah, it's been a tough year for game design too because a lot of people are doing like the uh, virtual pitches and the tabletop simulator and all that. And you know me and Matt, we're too lazy for all that. I- <laughs> Ditto, ditto. That's that's why I've I mean, worked like, with people who aren't too lazy for that. It's like it's a it's a hard enough to get a game that works. Now I got to learn how to put it on a simulator and like virtually pitch it with you know fake pieces online right, and all right. this. I'm like, holy cow! Um, I'll see you next year. <laughs> me and uh, me and one of my design partners have a really good opportunity to show a really good company one of our games. They're like, but we'll just we need to play it in TTS. And I was like. Oh gosh. Okay. Like, I don't even know how to put something in there. Like Neil has always done that. Neil's not the one working on this game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Matt actually to his credit when that open call for Ravensburger, like a month or six weeks went out and they were scheduling, you know, virtual pitches with people. He signed up and he did all the work. So I think he's got that like in two weeks Nice. Um, yeah. to show him some stuff. But like, 
I'll be honest, I didn't do anything. You know, as much as we rip on Matt, he does so much of the stuff that I don't want to do. Um, that's my advice. If you Find a design partner that is willing to do all the stuff you don't want to do. That's, right, right. Or is good at the stuff you're not good at is a nice way to say yes. that, right? I get, oh, yeah, right, right, right. That is a nice way of saying it. But it's it. Matt. Find someone so. that's skills complement yours and, you know, feather in and all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, hey, he's writing rules right now for one of our games we've been working on. So, Oh, that's fantastic. You know. good, for, good for you to have him yeah, working on that. Once you find a guy that's willing to write w- rules, you hold on to that partner yeah. and don't yes, let him go. Right. <laughs> it's the worst. No, I've, uh, it's, it's interesting because uh, you generally work with Matt, and I know you've worked with you've had some other people work with you. Um, but like you generally work with Matt. So you've got this shorthand you have and stuff. And, um, over the many, many years you've worked together, whereas I've been working with like multiple different design partners and they're all amazing. I love working with all of them, but they're also all very different, um, in their skill sets, but also in their tastes in what they're thinking about with games and how their brains work. And, uh, it's, it's interesting working with those different people trying to like, um, you know, just the, getting that groove is, is always weird because it's so different with yes. everyone else. No, you're totally right. And the shorthand is funny because um, you're like me, you've played a million games and we do develop this shorthand over time where we're, if we're like trying to solve a problem or do like a scoring mechanism or something. We'll be like, you know, Hey, you want to do the Rococo? You want to do the tour of Italy? <laughs> right, you know, right, we right. have all these, these like little pet names for all these things. And we know exactly what the other person's talking about. And, uh, with you working with new people all the time, you kind of have to build up that rapport with them new every time. So I give you a lot of credit for being able to do that. Thanks. Thanks. I think one of the things that I have as a skill for myself that's been useful with this is I can look at a game idea that I'm working on and say, this is the co-designer that this would fit with, right? This is their skill set. This is their interest. And then I pitch them that game and say, do you want to work on this game? And if they say yes, then boom, we work on the game, right? Um, and so that's been really helpful because like in the beginning, like it was just Neil and I working on stuff. And so sometimes one of us would have an idea that might not be as interesting to the other guy, right? Because we have different things. Yep. Um, like Neil's not a huge fan of party games. And then I found out that, Hey, banana Chan loves party games. So like, yeah. there's my, there's my go-to when we want to work on a party game or something with light role playing, it's going to be her. Um, and if I'm going to work on something that's more of a clever card game or something like, you know, um, that kind of style of like a smaller board game, it's going to be somebody like Neil. If I want to work on something that's thinky and, and has to work in a certain way, like Isaac is usually the person who's going to know the most about that because he's been around the block the most out of all of us that I work with. So, you know, um, yeah, it's cool having all those options, having developed all those relationships over the years. Um, I mean, I've always said that's the most fun part of this whole thing. None of us are getting rich yet off of this, but (laughs) the friendships and watching each other succeed and helping each other succeed and watching groups of friends pair up in different ways to succeed. And then we all meet at the conventions and, you know, that's why Unpub is my favorite. You kind of all once a year get together and you kind of do the, what have you been up to, uh, you know, rehash and um, you're all helping each other out and just you're kind of all in this little club together and it feels so good and the friendship and the journey is is the super fun part of it all um, so it's funny because yeah me and Matt have worked together almost exclusively we did Wasteland Express delivery service with John Gilmore um, that was a fun uh, one how that happened but recently we actually teamed up with another buddy of ours Adam Hill um, so Adam Hill and Clayton Hargrave are the ones that did Godspeed with Pandas. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely heard and, of that. And um, they're both, yeah, they're both local to us. So. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, so they're northern Metro Detroit um, guys. You know, they're within ten or fifteen minutes of me and Matt. So when they were working on Godspeed back when it was Alpacalypse, um, we actually would get together with them and play test it, and um, we were we were pretty involved on the early end of that. So they became pretty good friends of ours, and. Uh, Adam is really, so you mentioned things that people are good at. Adam is really good at making like a tight system that works. And sometimes I think he needs a little help putting some flair and some kind of uh, maybe even exciting moments and things, but he's very solid on getting systems down. So Matt was just talking to him one day saying, Hey Adam, you know, we've been doing this roll and write thing a lot. 
why don't you take Newton and just make a rolling right out of it? <laughs> like if, you know, <laughs> yeah. by the, uh, the, the Coimbra crew, Tashini and all them, I, I don't know which ones of that conglomerate did Newton, but, um, so basically Adam distilled down the, the math and, and how it works into this pretty cool rolling right. We're actually calling it Motor City. Funny enough, it's about making cars and put them on a test track and engineering and all these you know, cool. super exciting things. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he did a phenomenal job at it. And then me and Matt added this dice mechanism drafting to it and some flair and like it was really fun. It kind of it was kind of exciting working with someone new. Not that I right, have no right. <laughs> no plans on really ever designing without Matt. At this point we're kind of the same person. Right, right. <laughs> frankly. Right. It's like but it's it like the movie super- twins basically, you know. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. We're pretty much the same guy. We each we each got half the good and half of the bad. <laughs> right. I mean, put us together we make one pretty good designer, but on our own we'd probably be lost. <laughs> well I So when yeah, we team up with new people it's just really fun. That's all I was saying. Yeah, well you it probably would be a bit lost working on your own, right? I mean it would be really weird to not have I know for me, like it was the opposite of that working by myself for so long and feeling like I hit so many walls and just so many times where I was like, I can't figure this out. I don't know what to do here. And now there's always someone to say, what do you think we should do? Or like, is this, is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea to have just another person? Sometimes they're just validating your idea saying, yeah, no, that's a good idea. Let's try that. Right. Um, or yes. saying, well, did you think about this? Right. Like, oh no, I didn't think about that actually. So, yeah. um, <laughs> so that's really I I don't think I'll ever go back to solo designing um, just because I've liked working with people so much that I don't see myself being able to switch back to that at this point. I mean, like, even when I have a game, I'm like, oh, this is mostly done. I'm going to get somebody to help me co-design to make sure it's to make sure it's ready. So. Well, the one thing that you mentioned that it's really cool is the instant feedback. Yeah. So especially if you're designing with someone that you know well enough to give you the honest take of, no, that's, that's pointless or man, this is really good. Like, yes. and they get excited about it. That's kind of like, that's almost my favorite part of the whole design process is when I show Matt something and he gets immediately excited about it, that it's like, yes, I know I'm on. Right, 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 right. Especially if <laughs> Matt gets excited. Like, I've seen Matt play most games and he's like, Meh, about most games. So. Yeah. Most of the time he's like, I mean, yeah, it's an idea, whatever, you know, <laughs> where's I mean, the fun. <laughs> Yeah, man, I, it's kind of a loser move, you know. I don't know why you do that, but, you know, but if you can get him excited early, that's the really exciting part. And then the other half is for me, I would never finish anything alone. Like I would have zero published games if I did it myself because I'm right, right, excited at the beginning. I get all jazzed about something. I get about two thirds the way done, maybe half, forty percent done. And then I get excited about something else. That's just my personality. Yeah, I'm the same way. And so that having co-designers to keep me accountable is that's really helpful. Or even on the one project we're working on with an artist um, that I mentioned before the show started, um, that project, like the artist keeps me in check to say like, hey, we should be moving at this pace. We should be doing this, right? I'm like, okay, yeah, let me research this and figure this out, right? And um, all because there's just a person to keep you accountable. And that is really helpful. Yes, it is. It's huge. Um, all that to say, yeah, I can't ever see myself just going out and doing something alone. Because, like you said, even if I got something ninety percent done, I'm still gonna show it to Matt and be like, "Hey, what are we doing with this thing?" Like, and he does the same backwards, you know, toward me exactly. So here's a question. It definitely works here's out. Here's a question I've always wondered. So we're gonna get serious here, right? This is <laughs> it's a serious co-design question, and maybe you don't even have a good answer to this. I don't know. I've never paid attention to how your names are billed. Is it always the same or is it like, oh, this was Ben's idea, so it's Ben's name first? Like, how do you do that? So at this point, it's pretty much just completely random, box to box. Wow. (laughs) It really, I think we were taking turns for a while in the early years. Um, I'm arrogant enough. I think I probably listed myself first on the fleet box, you know, like whatever. (laughs) And then I think we took turns for a while, but at some point, like it just kind of all fell off. And um, I think it's usually however the publisher lists it, we just go with it. Right, and right. We don't really care at this point. Yeah, no, it was funny because that's one of the things I've talked about with co-designers, and I'm always like, I, I doesn't, it does not matter to me if my name is on the box. That's amazing, right? Like, because some publishers you don't even get that, and I'm sure you've experienced that. Um, 
And like, so just your name there says something and I don't care if it's like last on a list of 10, like it's there. That's cool. Like that's exciting. It is. I mean, some, some games like Matt will, it's his idea. He brings it to me and we finish it. There's games. That's my idea. Come to Matt. We finish it. Those ones. If you really care, you, it would make sense. You know, whoever kind of started it and put all the sweat equity into it up front, would go first. But a lot of our games come from what we call staring at a table of bits. We'll, we'll get together on a design night, you know, our Tuesday, Wednesday night, three-hour session, and we'll have kind of no agenda. And we'll just have an open table of paper, bits, cubes, or whatever, and we're literally just sitting there kind of brainstorming what ideas we've, you know, been wanting to do. And a, a bunch of our games kind of came out of those exercises. So wow. that's I would have never guessed that. That's weird in a good way but weird (laughs) yeah so um one of our favorite games that nobody bought or played was called morocco um eagle griffin did it uh you know five years ago or so it's it's me and matt's you know it's easily in our top three or four of games of ours that we like to play um for whatever reason it didn't catch on and you know it's a 6.9 on bgg and probably 200 people have ever played it the point is, we love it, and that one came from us staring at this board and just starting to move pieces around and kind of coming up with this little area control thing. And uh, yeah, it's kind of weird. It seems like a waste of time to just sit there with no idea or agenda. But sometimes we're just we're kind of out of ideas, and we still get together because we're very disciplined to get together every week and work on stuff. And if if we're out of ideas, we'll literally just come up with them on the fly and see what happens. That's that's cool. Like I I find that like the one thing that I never run out of is ideas, right? Like I will always have an idea for a theme, especially for a theme, sometimes for cool mechanics. Um so like that's generally when I'm co-designing with someone, it's like, here's some ideas I have. Does anything sound exciting like that for us to work on? Or here's some themes I've been trying to fit in. Um, but I, I think very few times have I actually just been messing with bits and had something click for me. It, my brain just doesn't work like that as much. I wish it did. Cause <laughs> yeah. that's cool. Yeah. I, I have that notebook too of like theme ideas and mechanic ideas that I want to get to someday. Um, a lot of those I won't. I don't want to say bother. I won't bother Matt with them yet because I haven't put in the due diligence to get it to the point that would suit my vision enough to even share with him. Right. So like I have this idea of this vacation lake game. I want to make about a little kind of, we're both from Michigan. You go up North, we call it up North in Michigan. We sure do. Yes. You go, you go out to the lake, basically, and you find this little quaint town, and it's got an ice cream shop and a snowmobile shop in the winter and a bait store and rent kayaks, and it's just this, you go to these cool little towns and you hang out on the lake all week. It's kind of what we do in Michigan, and I thought it would be awesome to have like a 45 to 50 minute euro where you're building up the little vacation town and it goes through the season so you have your summer attractions and then you do the snowmobile rentals in the winter and the whole show and you're making ice cream shops and just this cute little 45 minute euro so i've wanted to do this for like five years and i've just never actually worked on it well i don't know i don't want to sit down in front of matt and give him that 30 second pitch and just kind of start whatever because i feel like i owe it to myself to get it to a certain point before I share it with him, that sounds stupid, I bet, but that's just how my mind works. That's fair. Being from Michigan, I have to say, please make that game because that game sounds yeah. amazing. Uh, yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, that game, no, that's that's a good, that theme is really clever. Uh, it's especially being like that, that's like, yeah, like that's a thing my family does too, right? Like, in fact, speaking of up north, the reason we're recording this this week for next week is because we'll be in the UP, which is the up up north. Yeah. Uh, so for a week. So, yeah. That's pretty funny. So this is great radio for everybody not from Michigan, but where are you going in the UP? Uh, just uh, about 16 miles north of St. Ign- or um, west of St. Ignace on US 2. Oh, right on. Uh, at a, camp- yeah. a rustic campground right on Lake Michigan. So aptly yeah, named right on. Lake Michigan Campground. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> it's a huge yeah. lake. So we were, just in, uh, we were just in Marquette for a week about a month ago. Nice. It was awesome. Yeah, it's beautiful yeah. up there. It sure is. So hey, right on, man. You uh, you are doing a new thing, 
And uh, I wanted to have you on a chat about that. And we've been kind of talking about uh, stuff along those lines with, with how you're working on different things. But you're specifically working on a new project called Motor City Gameworks. Um, and yeah, I wanted to chat a little about that. We've got a lot of people right now. Uh, we're home. We're trying to figure out what to do as game designers. And like I've, I've heard several other people like interested in doing their own stuff, right? Um, yes. And I have not been excited about several of them, but the idea of you and Matt and others doing something does excite me <laughs> because I like your stuff. <laughs> Thanks, man. And so I'm excited yeah. about what you're going to do with it. So yeah, so let's, let's chat about that. Thanks, Jason. So the name of our publishing company is Motor City Gameworks. And we pulled the company last year, actually, 2019, with the goal of laying the groundwork for um, everything we would need to do to launch a game in 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, We kind of circled the wagons first, second quarter of 2020, and and we've pushed to next year. We're going to do a project next year, 2021, just because of the world, no conventions, the COVID, the whole show. We, we didn't want to do our first project ever right in the midst of this craziness. I know some people are and finding some pretty good success with it, but um, we decided to push to next year. Yeah. But the idea it's got to be the was, right project, right? You know, so it depending is. on what your game is that you're launching with, <laughs> it could be a very bad fit. Yeah. Oh, exactly. So, um, it, it came out of just wanting to do the process at least one time just to say we did it and to new, to prove to ourselves we could publish. We, we know we can design um, and get a game published, and we've, we've actually had some pretty big publishers over the years. You know, Lookout Games, Renegade, obviously Eagle Griffin, and, and, and others. Real Grand, that was a, a big score for us. But we wanted to prove to ourselves that we could go through the publishing wicket and gamut now and um just in case it works you know what if it works what if we're good at it and the game sells and then we can do a few the the plan is to do at most one a year right now so we're still going to sell designs to the publisher friends we have and love but we're planning on cherry picking one design a year at the most right now that'll make sense to self-publish and so that's you know under motor city Gameworks. um and what we chose for our launch title pretty much based on art costs and production costs because we don't want to get into a ton of -of out-of-pocket you know kind of pre because we'll kickstart right yep startup publisher we didn't want to get into a huge art burden up front so we were looking at what type of game could we do with a low art cost and kind of a low startup cost and right as we were having this idea our game fleet the dice game was having really good success um, so it had a really good year last year. It just, people really enjoying. We took the roll and write idea and kind of took it to the Euro game. You know, a lot of roll and writes mm-hmm. right. are spatial. Like if you played cartographers and others where you're kind of doing the Tetris pieces yep, yep. and the whole That's show. That's become kind of the, kind of the thing now, right? Which don't get me wrong. I love the thing, but <laughs> I do too. I love the thing also. I, I love the thing and I love playing that thing, but when we designed, we kind of more do like systems. Um, we're good at these tight little systems. That's why we do so many card games because we find like one thing and then do it a lot and do it well. And um, with Fleet the Dice Game, we were able to build this little kind of Euro, full Euro system, I'll call it, on two score sheets where people are drafting mm-hmm. dice and filling in boxes. Well, it turns out if you fill in a box with a pen but it lets you fill in another box which lets you fill in two more boxes which lets you fill in one more box now players really enjoy that (laughs) so yes yes they um, do (laughs) so it worked out pretty well um that was a really long way to say that for motor city gameworks for our launch title we said let's do a spiritual successor to fleet the dice game so another heavy euro roll and write so that's what we're gonna do so it's gonna be called um three sisters and that comes out of um, the gardening term, actually. So it's like the, the term of the, uh, the Native American style of uh, farming where you have a corn, a squash, and like a bean, and they're all complementary to each other. And when you grow them together, they all bring something to the table that helps the whole system oh, and, wow. and helps each other. So the corn grows tall, and it lets the beans, it provides a lattice for the beans to climb up and the squash 
provides like protection because the leaves are thorny and they vine all over the ground. So they'll actually provide like a natural mulch against weeds and the thorny leaves and vines keep like kind of the rabbits and the, the animals out. And then the beans, while they're climbing, they actually bring in nitrogen from the air and deposit you know, in the soil when they break down. So it's kind of this whole system of things that's complementary. So my kids came home from summer camp telling me about this, right? Like I had read about it at some point, but they were at summer camp a couple years ago and they came back and they were doing this at summer camp. They were growing this garden. Oh, that's, at super cool. camp. that's super cool. And when I hear things like that, and it sounds cool and it's like this interactive system, I'm weird. I just like want to make a game about it. Like when I'm on vacation, it's the same thing. When I see things in nature or on vacation, it's like, wow, that's really cool. I want to make a game oh, yeah. about it. <laughs> like it's just how I kind of experience the world is I want to research it and make a game about it and have players do these interactions. So, so that's what Three Sisters is going to be. It's it's. I don't want to say heavier than Fleet the Dice game, but it's not lighter than Fleet the Dice game. <laughs> um, it's got a different style of dice drafting mechanism, but um, it has its own style of dice drafting. And then you're managing this garden that's complementary to each other with the beans and the pumpkins and the corn. And then you have like um, your shed where you can get upgrades like tractors and shovels and all this, which sounds really exciting, right? I mean, we're jumping out of our chairs. I'm actually pretty excited about it. I like gardening. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you can have your beehive. You can split your beehive into multiple hives. You got your perennial garden and you got all these backyard things. And um, because we made the game, they all interact and give you free stuff. Uh, you know, do something here, which levels you up which gives you a free thing over there and then you get a free thing over there so if you like the chaining and kind of you know satisfactory thing of this action lets me do these other things it it plays very different from fleet the dice game but it has that same kind of right. snowball right, right that makes sense you know that positive snowball on your move right where you right get to do more things no and that's i guess that that almost reminds me of like a deck builder, right? Like that's the coolest thing about Dominion, right? Is when you can change yeah. things like, oh, because I did this, I can now do this, so I can do that. And like that feels great. And I can see on a roll and right where that's some unexplored territory. Like a lot of roll and rights don't have that chain of events, and that's that's really cool. Yeah, you know what the awesome part of Dominion is? When you have that turn that's like, oh, and then this lets me do this and then do this. And you play like 15 cards and then you're like, and I'll buy a silver. Yeah. Because yeah, <laughs> yeah, you actually yeah. You actually accomplished nothing. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it feels, that's the but best. that's one of the cool things about it, though, is right. It's, it feels good that you did that, though. You're like, look at all it this does. stuff I did. And I bought and one thing. You, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then you got nothing done. But you had fun doing it because. Right, right, you know, right. So that's going to be Three Sisters. You know, that uh, Motor City Game like Works. It probably quarter one of next year it's it's going to be the roll and write it's going to have the two score pads like fleet dice did probably the box will be similar size just i mean that's what we know you know we 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 know that size and that form factor so um we've got some really good artists on board um we got beth to do us a really cool cover nice. yeah, yeah she's great super excited about that we got kirkman on board doing some graphic design matt found this awesome. dynamite artist for the score pads that is just knocking it out of the park like so matt when i first told him about this he got really excited about the mechanisms but he was kind of like man but you got to be careful because there's such a fine line between like a little fantasy cool nature farming and then there's like boring farming right right you know? right right if you don't get the right artists now it's just boring brown farming and it's going to get lost but the the artists we have are just making it pop and i'm really excited for it these score sheets are coming out super bright and really cool and uh just a static form i'm a little bummed out we're not doing it this year but i mean you know you've you've done projects and you're going to be doing some in the future and it's for our first one our one buddy we're doing it with, so it's me and Matt, and then a friend of ours that we grew up with um, who's partnering with us, and he was kind of pushing for this year, but I don't know, it just didn't seem right for us. So we're going to do, you know, first quarter next That's year. That's good. I mean, yeah, like you, you, so, we've seen some games do amazing, right? Like I, I just saw um, uh, Game of Curry's game, uh, Jungshur, Blood in the Banquet Hall, just finished today, broke $100,000, right? Um, yeah. For a game that's like a role-playing slash board game like it's 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 some different territory so like you always get nervous right uh and yeah. it just crushed it 
But like we've seen other games that are also really good struggle. So for your first game, it's it's nerve wracking, right? Because you can have sold yeah. thousands and thousands of games, but like that that doesn't mean that you're going to draw the people, right? I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just talking about reality. No, nope. right? I mean like that's so. It's funny you said that because Matt has this theory that I subscribe to, and it's there's exceptions to it. Like somebody like Uwe Rosenberg has a following, right? Right. Right. Whatever he puts out, or people are going to buy. But it like kind of the R level mid-range, you know, beginner to you know, mid-range designer. You know, we have a certain amount of people that that do like us and our games and will buy them, but that's like in the low hundreds of people. Like people and don't most of them are game designers, right? <laughs> exactly. And at some point we got to stop buying our own games. We got to reach a bigger audience. But my point is even like a Scott Alms, people don't necessarily buy and follow designers as much as they do product lines. It's true. Yeah, so, it's very true. If you say, hey, it's the new Scott Alms. I think he's got one coming out from Renegade I just saw on Twitter. And I'm sure it's great. I love Scott. Great guy, friend, great designer. But it's not going to go gangbusters out the gate just because it's Scott. Right. Like, it's not he's, Tiny he's, Epic, right? So, Well, that's what I'm yeah. saying. He's not going to sell 10000 of that game just because he's Scott. Now, he might if the game is great and it catches a following. But his name isn't just getting him the rock star treatment in other you know, other product Well, lines. and it's just like, I'm not saying the game would be good. I'm not in any way like saying the game would be better than one of Scott's games. But if you and Matt, for instance, or any schmuck designed another tiny epic game, right? Well, people like us that know that Scott makes a quality game might be like, ooh, I wonder who this other designer is. Your general public who follows tiny epic, they're not even going to think about it, right? I, and I think they would still buy it. Oh, and yeah. That's no slight to Scott. You know we love him. He's a he's a friend. But yeah, the product line is is has a life of its own at this point. Is what we're saying. Right. Right. So, into right, right. a much much lesser degree, like one percent. You know, we have uh, you know fleet. Fleet is yep, a good yep. product line for us. If we sell a another fleet card game or another fleet rolling right or something to Eagle Griffin, you know, love him, Rick. And he publishes it. It would sell well. It wouldn't go tiny epic, but it's going to sell well right, because people it has a good following. like Fleet. They like Fleet. Now somebody else could probably put a Fleet game out, and it would sell just the same. Like they're not looking for the next Matt and Ben game. As you know, Fleet became a decent product line. So to go out and do Motor City as Matt and Ben, yeah, we got a couple hundred people that are going to be there for us day one. But it, it is a little scary. Like you still have to find your audience as Motor City Gameworks and Three Sisters and kind of build that brand up. And right. it is a little intimidating. Yep. Yeah, and I mean... We don't take it for granted. Right. We um, A really good example, right, recently was uh, Burnt Island Games uh, did the Kickstarter for In Too Deep, right? Which everything about that looked amazing. The video, like, on its own should have sold the games, right? And... It didn't fund like they expected it to, and they ended up deciding to postpone to to post all of this crap, right? Um, and that's a really hard decision to have to make. Um, and they can get away with it because, and I mean, get away with it in a positive way, right? They can get away with it because they've already published several games that people have, you know, knocked people's socks off. Uh, when you're doing your launch title, people aren't necessarily as forgiving about that, right? So you want to make right. sure that you've got the the right timing. Um, and that you're getting out there. I think one of the best boons for you all doing this is that you know the system, you know people, you know the reviewers, you know podcasters, you know the right people to um, get um, uh, to get like uh, this stuff out to the right people to get the right publicity. I mean, like you know, you can call a podcast with a lot, a lot of listeners, a medium amount, probably. I would even say. And they'll have either one of you on any time. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't have Matt on to promote the game because I'll probably spend most of the time making fun of him. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, so, I mean, there's, I think that that helps knowing the community. Um, I mean, that when it, I'm it thinking does. about doing my own thing, even not as a company, but just as like, oh, I'm going to publish this game, right? Um, as just like a venture to see what happens. Like, I feel much more comfortable knowing that I have several thousand people that are going to pay attention because now they may not all buy the game, but I at least have their ear and they like to support me and they like to help me out and they, and they like the stuff I do. So that makes me feel more comfortable doing something, you know? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it is absolutely a fact that, 
you know, me and Matt and definitely you pretty much on about the same timeline. We've been spending almost the last 10 years developing relationships and credibility, successes, failures, but basically marketing ourselves. You know, you are your brand in in this industry. So there is that for sure. And maybe the general public walking around Target doesn't necessarily know or care, but having those industry insider connections and friends that do media, et cetera, it's huge. You can't understate how how big that is for sure. Um, Because being brand new, me and Matt were so lucky back in 2012 when Fleet first launched on Kickstarter because we didn't know people that did podcasts. We lucked into so many friendships. I mean, (laughs) I know the feeling. I know the feeling. (laughs) Like we had people, uh, you know, funding the dream, and you know, Richard uh, Bliss is that his name? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I know you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like people like him and, and even Kirkman with, uh, you know, his podcast. And like people just were so gracious to reach out and be cool to us. And it, it was all luck. Um, yeah, Fleet was a good game, but it, we lucked into these relationships yeah, and I got mean, the, some media and stuff. Because, I mean, Fleet is a great game, but better games than Fleet have failed on Kickstarter many sure. times, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just, yeah. that's how it works, not, you know? I mean, it doesn't... I'm not too arrogant and very to ad- admit games that. much much less good than fleet have made millions of dollars <laughs> millions millions and millions, and millions, millions. of dollars even um if we had that time machine we just would have put uh pre-painted minis in fleet <laughs> right 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 yes right that would have that would have done it and then suddenly you'd have you know and and card sleeves for the pre-painted minis that would have been good exactly people would have been all over it uh but no, yeah, it's who it's all scary. And it's funny you said you lucked into relationships because of, you know, the fleet thing and that stuff happening. Like I feel the same with me with the podcast, right? Like we met so many people because of the podcast. Um, and we continue to, you know, I mean, I some of the the people who I know the best, like you and and uh, other close friends within this industry, I met all because of the podcast. Um yeah. you know, so that I have I was just going to say I have very fond memories of the first Grand Con when we met in person for the first yeah, time. Yeah, because you were on a panel for the show. Your panel. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, that was yeah, it was, that was crazy. It was me and Matt and you and Rob and Jeremiah and oh, yep. Katarski. Yep, yep. And we just had a great time. And it, it was kind of funny because that was like one of the moments where I was like, holy crap, we made it. We're doing this thing. All right. Like you guys packed that room out pretty good. Like the, the room that you had was like we've ever had a room. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was. I'm like, there's people here to listen to us it was and like false they expectations, like what we're saying, and it was so fun. I'm like, oh my god, like publishing the game was fun, but like doing this kind of crap and making new friends and doing everything like this, this is like where it's at. Um, yeah. Let alone all the iron design challenges that came afterwards and all that. That first Grand Con was pivotal because that is where I met um really like so many people in game design for the first time right um like people like katarski and you know you and matt and um jeremiah who i still i mean i'm still friends with all of you um because like yeah just because we met there and you know and that was that's one of the great another plug for small town conventions is at those conventions you make lasting friendships because you've got time uh, you're not so busy with everything all the time. Yeah, not having those conventions this year, it, it's a killer on every front. I mean, it's it's a killer on the sanity because there's such an escape. Like, we all work full-time jobs. You know, we're providing for families and kids and the whole show. And, you know, two or three times a year, if you're lucky enough to be able to get away and just act like a kid for three or four <laughs> right, days. Right, right, right it's the best. Like, it's recharging. You barely sleep. You know, you're going for... 20 hours a day late into the night testing prototypes and running around the hall and doing all this stuff. But you're never tired because you're so energized. Um, and t- to not have that is a huge hit. It's it's just like a mental just it's real bummer. Yeah. And it's funny because I, when you think about like being a, what I'll call in, in air quotes, a successful game designer, right? Like when you've got several yeah. games out there and stuff, essentially you are living the dream that you get to go hang out with friends several times a year, be goofy and the hobby pays for itself for the most part, yes. which is yeah, pretty awesome. Sure. And sometimes you turn a profit and, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, I have always said, my wife and I have always joked about like having if, a lot of the hobbies I've had have eventually like 
the project will pay it pay for itself, right? Like, and even yes. if it breaks, even it's like I got to have this whole experience and do this whole thing for free, other than my time, right? Yeah. You know, and that's yeah, that feels really good uh, when you're you know when you're doing something like that, and it, it absolutely feels great. Um, and, and you're one hundred percent correct. Like, I even have a separate little checking account with a debit card tied to, you know, if I get a little royalty check, I'll put it in this account. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. when I'm on con travel, I'm, I pay with that card and it feels great. Cause I'll, I'll have a dinner and I'll be like, you know, thanks fleet and swipe the card. <laughs> right, you know, right, right. It feels, you know, it's not like I'm buying diamond rings and saying, thanks right, fleet right. or, you know, Rolexes, but Hey, if fleet can buy me a plane ticket to UbHub and a hotel and a couple meals, you know, year That's to year, amazing. Yeah. it feels, it feels awesome to be able to hang out with your buddies and be goofy and have this thing that's paying for itself. And then frankly, the hustle is fun. So you're doing all the actual gaming, but running around origins with a backpack and like, Oh my God, we got a meeting at nine. Then we got to be over there at 11 and like running around like goofballs pitch to pitch and all that. That hustle is fun. It's energizing. It is really fun. Even the, I mean, we've been rejected so many times over the last 10 years, but it, it, it just comes with the territory, and it doesn't even bum you out anymore, but just that whole rigmarole is a blast. And um, Yeah, I think the one the one thing I would put on that is once you've been published once or twice... Then the rejections are then okay. The reject- and I think that makes the hustle more fun too, right? Because... Like, you're right. You're right. Starting in this industry, right. getting bought by... My having a game bought twice and then not published twice... Like that wasn't yeah. fun, and that made the hustle no. seem pointless for a while. <laughs> like, yeah, because, so you're you right. Know, it it we, can be a struggle. We cheated. So me and Matt cheated. We absolutely cheated. We sold our first game over the internet via email. No right. You no. Know, he cold emailed like a dozen companies, and a couple got back and said, "Send me the prototype." Eagle Griffin was one of those that said, "Send me the prototype," and then they kickstarted it. So we totally cheated because we had never been to a convention before that. <laughs> so we, everything we did for 10 years was with house money. And you should hate us for that because it's not fair. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but, but it happened. It's all right, though. It's exactly. all right. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's everybody's story is different, right? Like everybody's success level is different at different times. And, and we all got into this a different way. And I, I feel like that's good, right? Because we all get to see, you know, um, what everyone else goes through. And that's, you know, yes, I think it's important. It makes it easier when you realize that it makes it easier to enjoy your buddy's successes too. Like even when your friends start having successes that you didn't have or greater success in areas that you didn't have, like it helps, it helps when you realize that to still be happy for them and enjoy that and not be jealous that, Oh, my game never made 200,000 on Kickstarter and you have a $200,000 Kickstarter. Like just be, you know, being able to realize all of that and be happy for your friends is a very good thing. It Um, is right. I mean, and that's, it, that can be, in the beginning, sometimes that can be a struggle, right? I mean, like with anything. For it's, sure. It's like... It's human nature. It's like being at a job and your friends are getting promoted and you're not, right? Like that can be hard. And that's what it feels like when you see all these successful people. I think one of the stigmas I want to break though for, for a new game designer is like, like when I met you and Matt, right? Like I thought you guys were like, whoa, like these are like world-renowned game designers, right? And you had like... <laughs> one game out one game and it happened to be really successful but it was one game and you know but to me it was like oh my gosh look at these people right or even like Gilmore back in the day like he had one game it just happened to be really really successful um yeah and like but but you we it's so easy to put these people on this pedestal of like when am I going to have that level of success um, because I think we feel like people have a higher level of like, success than they do. Whereas most game designers aren't actually full-time game designers, you know? Um, nope. Nope. Uh, most of them are just people like us who work jobs and have families and they have some level of success. And when, when it's somebody else, it probably seems like a lot more than when you're in it. And yeah, just realizing they're just another person that, that hit on one of their lotto tickets. You know, me and Matt call all of our designs basically lotto, lotto tickets. tickets. Right. Yeah. I mean, nobody knows. Nobody knows nothing about nothing. That's Matt's quote about what's going to go big and what's going to undersell. Um, nobody knows. So you just do the best you can. You hope that you're hooked up with a publisher 
you know, that does a nice production and some promotion and, and gets some game plays out there and promotes it some, but, um, it's, it's really a lotto ticket on a lot of fronts. So you do the best you can. Yeah. And you, and you never know, like I said, you never know what game is going to hit and what's not. And, uh, yeah, I've given up trying to really predict those sorts of things because it's, it's too difficult. <laughs> yeah. And so from a design side, from an advice to like a new designer is, don't waste your time trying to design to a fad that you think will go big. That is going to be a waste of your time in the end. Like you have to design the games that you're passionate about, whether it seems like they're the next hot thing or not, like make what you want to make and make what you want to play is, is always going to be my advice. Cause you're going to be the most passionate about it. You're going to have the most fun doing it. You're not going to get tired out trying to chase the next success or the next fad. Like me and Matt spent a couple of years doing the wrong thing. I'll say actually trying to come up with the gimmicky Euro, like, Hey, let's, we got to come up with the Euro with the gimmick, you know, it's got to have the whatever. And that's what we're missing. None of our Euros have, you know, the friggin' spinning, whatever. And it's like, it turned out to just, it was a waste of our time because we were out of our wheelhouse. We were chasing something that wasn't true to us, what we actually love to do. And um, when we got back to more of, let's just make the games we want to play. Like, it made me a lot yes, happier. Yes. And, and the success is a crapshoot anyway. Well, and just based on the number of times you will be forced to play a game if it is successful, you better right. design what you like because otherwise you're going to be real annoyed. Um, Imagine that circle of hell where you like, you pander right. into some pseudo hit, but it's not good enough for you to retire, but it's good enough that you have to play it forever. And it's all anybody knows about you. And then you don't even like the game. Right. I mean, and that's, you know, I, I've designed those games to where like, I'm working on them, I'm pitching them. And I'm like, gosh, I don't even like playing this game. And then I'm like, why am I yeah. pitching this? <laughs> like, I'm going to have to play this. If this gets published, I'm going to have to play this more, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I, exactly. I don't want to, this is dumb. So yeah. Yeah. why 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 are we selling this game? Because it's, it's probably good enough to get published. Like I don't even like right. this one. Why are we doing this to ourselves? I think that's part of the problem is that, especially when you're new, that's easy to fall into that trap of like what what does somebody want, right? Like what's going to yeah. get published? And and I think it's okay to say what does the market look like right now, right? You got yeah. a bunch of party games. Not always the time to be pitching them right now, unless you can say like, hey. <laughs> Uh, I've got a way you can play this party game over Zoom, right? And then yeah, you, you should better, be pitching yeah. it right now because that's great. Yeah. Um, but like, it's just not, you know, I mean, trying to play to those fads is so hard. And one of the things I thought, like in the beginning, there were people who were like, oh, this roll and write thing, right? Like this roll and write thing is, uh, it's going to hit huge, right? And a bunch of people, this was like five years or five or more years ago, right? Yeah. And Roll and Rights didn't do a lot, actually, until like Welcome To came out and then a few others. And now it's become this big mainstream thing. Um, but like there were there were a lot of people we knew designing Roll and Rights four years ago that never went anywhere because the market wasn't looking for those right then. Right. Um, and yeah. they were designing ones that weren't really, you know, they they didn't they weren't designing games because they thought they were great. They were designing games because they thought they could sell them. And yes, um, it's like it's like. um so there's two angles to this. You know, the the world doesn't need another deck builder. I disagree with that statement. I think the world needs another deck builder. If you're passionate about the deck builder you're making, and that's the type of game you love, and you're going to put everything you have into this game, then I think the world needs that deck builder. And when people play it, your passion for that game is going to come through. But if you're just making a deck builder because you think the market likes deck builders, the market yes, is going to exactly. know that that you are pandering and the game's probably not that good. Well, I mean, and I think a think a good old Donnie X Vecarino, right? Like I mean, <laughs> yeah. that I hope that guy likes Dominion because like that's like the game he's known for <laughs> and he's made like so many sequels or whatever to it. Like if he hated that game, that sucks to be him. I mean, sure he's yeah. successful, but like if you're successful making a game you don't like, you might as well have another job getting paid more money doing something you don't like because you're not making enough off the game for it to matter. So, and, and I think Rollem rights are the same. Like I'm currently addicted to them. I love playing them. I love making them. And it's the simplicity to me that you can take such simple components and make such a complex little set of decisions and systems out of them that having this amazing decision tree come out of simpleness um I, i'm just addicted to but if you were just going to make a roll and write to hop on the fad or hop on the wave or whatever like then 
that's going to be so obvious that you're not passionate about exactly. it. Exactly. Like one of my things that I, cause I, I love roll and write games. We, we refer to them as random and writes, right? Cause I'm trying to like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good one. I like from, that. That was uh, Nate Darty, I think coined that, uh, trying to get away oh, from random the and right. That's great. Uh, the idea of like, it's not, they don't have to be a roll and write. Like I have a game that a publisher has that we're calling a pull and write because you're drafting, nice. uh, and then writing things down. Um, and like, so one of the thing design challenges I do for myself that I'm really excited about is I think blank and write, like what type of game can I make and write? Um, and I'm working on one right now where it's like, um, like it's, it's this thing what I've never seen done. And I'm like, this is a weird way to do this. Like, that's fun. Let's do that. You know? And will anyone yeah. buy it? I don't know, but I'm going to have a good time with it. And worst case, um, nobody wants it. I'm going to like put it like on PMP arcade or something because I can publish yeah. it and get it out there and feel good about it. And that's awesome because you're passionate about it and you're coming at it from a different angle. So you're trying to bring something new to the market, but in a, in a medium that you're passionate about. You're not, you're not just trying to come at something gimmicky. You're trying to reinvent the thing that you love, which that'll come through in your game design, uh, which actually just so. makes me miss. It makes me miss Unpub a lot, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unpub is so great for seeing games where you're just like, whoa, like, yeah. Why? How, the, and you're like, you're kind of mad, not that they're going to be successful, but that you didn't think of it because it seems so obvious, right? Yeah. Right? It's like, and then the other, the other thing I love about it is like if me and you and Rob and Matt are sitting down at uh, Origins and we're playing each other's games, we're, we're playing them as designers, and I kind of there's a certain type of feedback that comes from a designer. But when you go to Baltimore and there's a thousand random people from Baltimore that show up to play Protos and you just plop a game in front of a family of four that sits down, there is no sugarcoating their reaction. They're either in or they're slogging through trying to be nice. And when you stand there watching them, you can tell oh, without a shadow sure of a tell. doubt. <laughs> there is They don't need to say a thing. All you got to do at Unpub is watch yep. people play your game. Yep. You can tell if they're digging it or not and that is the most amazing thing you can do for a game is go throw it in front of the general public and just see if you got something or not absolutely and i the one thing that i learned from unpub was what type of game you want to bring to unpub because i think there are certain games that you want that general ma that general mass market feedback and there are other games where it's not going to fly there right oh yeah um, oh geez dude the last time we brought a two-hour euro to unpub will be our last time You're awful. <laughs> why would you do that no I, i'm not gonna sit there and explain a game for right. 30 minutes to watch people play for another two hours in the hopes that they're having a good enough time to give me some feedback like right yeah no i <laughs> we're I, definitely i generally try to stick to 15 to 30 minutes tops when i bring an unpub game um for one so that i can get people to play it repeatedly right uh, but for two, just because I find that those generally the ones that I'm designing at least are a little lighter and people are more likely to enjoy them. Um, not because I like just want people to be happy, but because like I'm trying to design to a certain audience. Right. And that if that's the audience and they like it, well, then I know that I've done something correctly. <laughs> yeah, we will definitely stick to an hour or less. Usually we'll, we'll push it to the 45 minute to the hour mark. Well, there's also two of you. It turned yeah, absolutely. So that's the other thing. When you have a partner and you're on the road, you can rotate out and take breaks. It's the best. And we absolutely do that. We do it in shifts. But it, it turns out we're better probably at making games that take an hour or less. Um, Wasteland Express is probably the exception to that, but that game took us like six years to make. And you also had a, and a, a co-designer. <laughs> and a third guy. It took us an extra right. guy in six years. So Right, right. Um, yeah, I, it turns out our wheelhouse is probably an hour or less. Yeah, I I think I would struggle to design an interesting game that was more than, uh, that was over an hour. I, I just don't think I don't, I don't think I have the design brain that works in that way. Um pretty much everything I designed, like, cause I myself, as I'm playing the game, when it's getting to like 45 minutes and I know it's not going to end for another 30 minutes, I'm like, I don't want to play this game anymore. Like, <laughs> and I designed it. That's not good. Yeah. So I tell you what we're going to do. Cause we talk about hooking up with partner designers who are good at things you're not good at. The next time we want to do a full Euro, we're probably going to tap our buddy Adam Hill on the shoulder again and be like, dude, let's do this together. Right, right, cause right, he's, right. 
he's friggin' awesome at making two and a half hour euros. Like that's kind of his thing. So like, right, right. Let's not make this harder than it needs to be. Let's reach out to some resources we have and do it together because you know, we did that roll and write. I was at the beginning of the show, I was talking, we, we brought him in and we did this roll and write together with them. Um, but dude, we could absolutely do a heavy Euro with him because he's so good at those systems. And then me and Matt can add what we do. I'm not sure what we do. We make, we make smaller systems work. Honestly, that sounds boring, but that's why we're good at card games. A good card game has one hook and you kind of enjoy it for 30 minutes. We're good at that. I don't know that we're that awesome at making five of those hooks work together over two and right. a half hours that is that's really hard yeah i know i mean my main wheelhouse is mostly card games too with a hook and you know i mean like i like a lot of your games because they're games like i would design or play <laughs> so yeah we are yeah. we appreciate each other's oh for um, sure sensibilities in that way your card games always have the clever bit and i always enjoy them for that and i think vice versa absolutely yeah i mean we are published by the same publisher so that for for clever card is. games new classic card <laughs> games as he likes to say that's right that's right well hey i was gonna have you pitch a game or something but we have went over time uh if you if you really got something you want to throw out there we can absolutely do it uh but if you i don't want to no, force i would you say to, so. If I'm if I'm gonna self promote for thirty seconds, we have speaking of clever card games, uh, twenty twenty <laughs> we did have a release from Renegade Games. It's called Stellar. It's a two player card game. It is awesome. I'm not lying to you. It is a really <laughs> really good two player card game. It has the clever thing, and it does it well. Um, so go get it. It's Stellar from Renegade Games. Two player. It's awesome. Sleepy Hollow should be out at some point this year, but uh, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> when right. I have the box in hand, I'll I'll know that it's done. Um, I, I don't know, man, where that one's at. At some point, it's going to be published, and then we have some stuff coming out next year. And Motor City GameWorks is going to be a thing. We're going to do Three Sisters, and then you know probably one a year. I don't know if they'll all be rolling rights, but they'll probably all be like one hour wonders or whatever like that right. i would assume right no i get that yeah um stellar you said that's a two-player card game it okay, is awesome. and that's our first game it's our first game we ever made that's specifically two players um and it turns out you can get away with some stuff in a two-player game that might annoy a third or fourth player oh yeah for sure yeah and downtime is not really, really an liked. issue in a two-player game for one <laughs> exactly and you can do some comparative um me versus you um kind of slider push pulling things that would be annoying with a third player sometimes that's a really good point yeah i'll have to check it my wife and i love two-player card games or or card games that work really well with two players uh so we'll have to check that out i'm uh yeah stellar all right i'll make you a deal if you play stellar and you don't like it you can punch matt in the face I take that deal. I may just say I don't like it either way. <laughs> I would it. assume you would. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, geez. Yeah. So great. Offer. No, it was super fun to do a two player game. We'd never done it before. I, I would love to do it again. Um, it was just this whole different dynamic that we had never even kind of opened up. Um, and once again, we were like, oh man, how are we going to sell a two player game? We're like, screw it. We're not going to worry about selling it. Right. It's a great game. We're just going to do it. And it turned out it sold itself because Dan from Renegade played it and he couldn't get out of his mind. Like he just kept thinking about it and thinking about nice. it. And, yeah. And he's and an awesome dude. I think we create artificial barriers for, oh, will this sell or this won't sell or this won't do. We're creating these artificial barriers in our minds and uh, in our designs yes. that is that, that don't exist. You know, I mean... Uh, and I think we do it to each other too. When somebody says, oh, it's two play only. You're like, oh, are you sure you want to do that? Um, you're like, yeah, shut up. I do. <laughs> like, so absolutely. You're absolutely right. We do that to ourselves. Right. Um, hey, the world doesn't need another space game. Well, every game I try to make that's not in space, the publisher just puts it in space. So right. if you like space, <laughs> make a space game. <laughs> right. All right, man. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was really good to chat with you again. Uh, it's been, like I said, a while and it's great to connect again and hear what you're up to. I appreciate it, Jason. It's great to talk to you. Miss seeing you. Hopefully next year we're back at it and we'll be hanging out in person. Yes, that would be great. All right, builders, uh, thank you for listening. You can find us at buildingthegamepodcast.com. Get us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at podcastbtg. I am at J.A. Slingerland. Ben is, I forgot, what is your Twitter handle? Pinchback21 on Twitter. Yes, 
And if you're over on Facebook, you can look up Motor City Gameworks and oh. give them a follow right. or a like or I whatever that, that is. And not a ton of news yet, but in the next you know couple months, we'll be releasing some art and stuff like that. So awesome. Motor City Gameworks over on Facebook. Yes, awesome. Take a, you know. I would suggest finding them on Facebook rather than building the game because I never update anything for Facebook on building the game, <laughs> even though I tell you all to go there. Uh, you can yeah, tell your parents <laughs> when they're on Facebook to follow us. Uh, so uh, you uh, also should call us at 770-TELL-BTG. And uh, yeah, that is everything. So until next time, good night. See ya. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Dial 770-TELL-BTG. Please don't use the email. <laughs>